Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This week's episode is sponsored in part by Happy Little Lovelies. Happy Little Lovelies is a shop owned and operated by awesome Dana Hartness, and she invites you to explore her handcrafted jewelry and accessories for women and girls. Find her store Happy Little Lovelies on Etsy and on Instagram at Happy Little Lovelies Shop. Sorta Awesome listeners will receive 15% off their purchase with checkout code Sorta Awesome. Thank you, Dana and Happy Little Lovelies for sponsoring this week's show. And this is episode 63 of the show. I'm joined this week by my dear friend and lovely co-host, Kelly Gordon. Today's episode is all about what we know now that we are here. If you subscribe to my Sorta Awesome newsletter, you know that I'm already a little bit giddy about June because it is my birthday month. (gasps) Yes, next week I am turning 39, Kelly, the big 39. (laughs) The big year. That's right. The year that everybody clings to. (laughs) That becomes their age for the rest of their life. (laughs) So true. So birthdays always get me a little bit sentimental and a lot reflective. And so Kelly has agreed to humor me in that. And we've put together a list of all of the things that we are so happy that we know now and that have made life so much more awesome for our minds, for our bodies, and for our souls. We're going to get to all of that in just a few moments. But first, Let's start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Kelly, what do you have for us this week? Oh, I'm so excited. And Awesome, this is funny because my Awesome of the Week actually fits really well with our topic. It has to do with the mind, body, and soul. And it is a YouTube yoga channel called Yoga with Adrian. Right. Yes, I've heard this, so much about this. It Really, it's funny because I discovered it about a month ago. And a couple of weeks after I stumbled across it, thanks to actually I was looking online for the best free yoga online. And I found a great article in the New York Magazine where they listed some different choices so we can actually link to that if you want to check out some few. They had, I think, five different options on YouTube. And I've looked at a few of them, and they're all good. But Yoga with Adrian is so much more fun. And a couple weeks after I found it, it got mentioned on the Sort of Awesome Hangout group, of course, because our awesomes always know what's awesome. Always, And yes. so 
We actually have a spinoff group right now from the Hangout group called Sorta Yogis. And they are doing, isn't that cute? Yes. (laughs) And they're doing her, Adrienne's, 30 days of yoga kind of boot camp. It's for beginners. Every day she has a different workout and she's really introducing you to the concepts of yoga. So I have not done that, but I love her style. I have just been cherry picking different sort of yoga practices that I wanted to try. And really the background for me is I have done, I like classes. So I have done classes that are maybe core centered or somewhat yogic in tone or temperament, but not just flat out yoga. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I would like to have something that I could do at home so that if I don't want to have to drag all the kids to the gym, then I can just, you know, do it here, still have a good workout, but also really this has become so important to me, that mind aspect, that soul aspect of tying it all together with my body, that it's not just a workout, it's kind of a centering, Mm -hmm. which I think I need more in the summer in some ways. Absolutely, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Having all, all the kids at home. So she has so many fun little things that like, you know, no fear yoga. I've done the yoga for the button thighs, yoga for tired legs. I did one over the weekend that was yoga to inspire gratefulness, just gratitude. Oh, yeah. And we have to play you guys a little clip because it's so funny. Her style of how she does yoga, I think, is the most refreshing. She would be an awesome. Yes. Like she, she's that kind of a person. She doesn't care if she messes up. She's not super serious about this. She really wants you to do something and enjoy life. So let's play this little clip for you. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Yoga with Adrienne. Today we are in the park and we have a salacious, salacious, I didn't mean to say that. I meant sizzling, but I'm going to keep it. We have a salacious and sizzling, strengthening practice for you. Okay, so you see that she does not take herself seriously. If she messes up, she's okay with it. So she's, I think if you've never tried yoga before, especially, she's going to be the perfect person to lead you into this practice because she's not going to take herself or you too seriously. She's going to really encourage you and just say, let's give it a try. Let's give it a go. And I have found it to be so much fun. So life-giving really is the the thing it is. Mm -hmm. And it's free and it's online and you can do it. I've taken it outdoors some days when the oh, weather's fun. been nice. You can you know, do it, yeah. obviously, you know, in your basement, anywhere. And you can choose even lengths. She has whole, like, playlists that are just in your 10 to 15 minutes of yoga all the way up to an hour. So Yoga with Adrian on YouTube and, of course, in the sort of hangout group. If you wanted to join the sort of yogis little subgroup, spinoff group that we have there, you're going to find all sorts of friends who are on this same journey. I love that. I got so tickled just now when you were saying you could take it and do it in your basement because it was such a reminder of how different basements are in Minnesota. (laughs) Yes. Our our basement is this dark, scary, dank, like (laughs) windowless. Right. No, my basement, it doesn't always have, it has windows on one side. It's like a walkout basement, but yes, it's like got a TV and carpet and a ceiling. Mm -hmm. Your basement is a place for fun. Our basement is a place to hide from tornadoes and that's about it. (laughs) So maybe don't do yoga in your basement. Right, right. It might be a little harder to focus with the spiders falling on you. Right. Oh my goodness. Okay. I love that. And I just, I, That, you know, it actually kind of um, speaks to some of what I'm going to be sharing later about moving our bodies and finding ways to do that, that is fun and energizing and is not a chore and something that we're dreading and putting off. So that is so 
Great, Kelly. I'm really loving that. Well, my Awesome of the Week this week is kind of a callback to your last Awesome of the Week. The last time you were on the show in episode 60, you talked about the Liturgists mm-hmm. uh, episode, and a podcast called The Liturgists, their episode on race. A lot of people took your advice, Kelly, and listened to it, and we've gotten so much great feedback. I've had people even private messaging me and saying, oh my gosh, I mm-hmm. thought... I thought I could speak pretty well on race, but I was blown away by everything I learned in that episode. Well, mine is kind of a a callback or a link to that as well. And it's another podcast recommendation. I am like probably breaking every rule because I just gave a podcast recommendation last (laughs) week on the show, but it's my show. So I get to do that. (laughs) Rules are meant to be broken. So this week, I just could not wait to tell you all to check out NPR's newest podcast called Code Switch. So Code Switch, if you all are not familiar with this, first of all, it has been a column at NPR for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably familiar with some of the personalities, the people, the journalists who who write there and share things, notably Gene Demby. If you listen to Pop Culture Happier as often as I do, then you know Gene from his many appearances there. So the idea of Code Switch, if you're not familiar with it, Code Switching is the practice of alternating between two or more languages or varieties of language in conversation. All of us code switch, I'm sure, because we have one way that we speak to, let's say, our parents and grandparents, and they're the way that we speak to our closest girlfriends. And that's something that all of us do, especially, you know, when you're younger, you have a way that you speak at school and a way you speak at home. So code switching is something that we're all totally familiar with. In the NPR column and in in the context of the uh, show of Code Switch, it's talking more about how people of different ethnicities, different races, uh, code switch back and forth when they are talking to each other as opposed to talking to other people. And so this has been a fantastic part of of the NPR lineup for a long time. And they finally now have a podcast to explore some of these issues in audio form. Have you gotten a chance to check it out yet, Kelly? No, I haven't. I am familiar with their column and different things that would come up. So yes, like you, I have been so eager to listen to, but I haven't yet. So I'm so glad you made it. You're awesome. That's a good reminder for me to go subscribe. Yes. So I'll remember to do that when I'm checking my podcast app. Well, I knew that you are, uh, you're quite the NPR junkie. So I had, I, I, I am. wondered if you had listened to it yet. True, so, true. I wanted to point you all in that direction. I, of course, went ahead and subscribed. But even if you don't want to add another podcast to your um, to your podcast feed that you're listening to, I really strongly encourage you to go check out at least the first episode, which is called Can We Talk About Whiteness? And in that episode, Jean Demby and Shreen Marisol Maraji explore how we talk and how we don't talk about whiteness and why it's really important for all of us to be able to engage in a conversation. It's so important for us to figure out how to have these conversations. They talk to um, some academics. They talk to some students. It is such a wonderful and well-balanced conversation about it. And at one point in the episode, one of the professors they're talking to, he, he mentions that in, in approaching this topic with his, one of his classes, he says, so we're going to talk about race. And for white people, that really sucks. And it's true. <laughs> it's really hard. We, For most of us who are white, we do not know how to have these conversations because it feels awkward. It feels clumsy. It feels volatile. And what this episode does is really challenges all of us who are listening to have courage, to have 
humility to be able to listen and to not be so afraid to step into this conversation that we are in a time in our culture where it is pivotal that we get comfortable with talking about it, knowing that we're going to mess up, knowing that we're not going to use the right words, knowing that we are going to maybe expose some ignorances that we have, but that it is the time for us to be able to engage this conversation. So like I said, even if you don't want a new podcast to listen to, go check out that first episode, Can We Talk About Whiteness? You will be challenged, and I think it will completely broaden what your understanding of this conversation even is. I'm excited. I can't wait to go listen to that. Yeah. I love to geek out on stuff like that and to learn from other people. So that's exciting. Yes, yes, yes. Well, as with all things NPR, it's so well done. So I cannot wait to hear your thoughts. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, awesomes, as you go and check that out. So, all right. Well, like I said, it is June. It is birthday month for me. This is the time of year that no matter how old I'm turning, genuinely, I do start to get so sappy and so sentimental thinking back on the years that I have been given on this planet. But this birthday feels really big, Kelly, 39. Yeah. I'm really, I think it is. I'm really excited about it. So yeah. you and I got to talking and because you're my um, unofficial older sister who I always <laughs> turn to for these kinds of conversations, we kind of started tossing some ideas around about how we could talk about all the things that we have learned and that we're so happy that we know now that we're here. In fact, I want to say a little bit to the awesomes that are listening because I want to kind of make sure that you guys are on the same page with Megan and I, which is that we are... I am 44. Megan, obviously, will be 39 in just a few days. So we are at that stage of life. And so that's kind of what we're talking about is, you know, what we have learned now that we're here. But we are not trying to say that all the other stages are just waiting to get to this stage or that somehow we have reached the pinnacle. We're just saying that where we are now, maybe if you're younger than we are, you don't hear so many good things about hitting that midlife or older sort of a stage. And we are here hopefully to add some happiness and some light and hope to that and say, you know what? The rumors are not the truth. Um, You can dictate a lot of this based on how you go into it. So we are actually, we are really excited to talk to you about this and, and really, excited to be the ages that we are. Like, you know, I don't want life to be over, but at the same time, I am loving 44. And I would say, I don't know if this is true for you, Megan, this makes me laugh. When I look back at my 20s or my 30s, it has taken me about four years, five years. I'm midway through the decade of my life before I figure out the point of that decade. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, I think sometimes people feel like you're going to turn that pivotal year, you're going to turn 20, you're going to turn 30, and you're going to be like, I know what's going to happen now. Like I have attained some sort of a new level I've transcended and it takes me most of the decade (laughs) to go, Oh, I get what I'm doing here. I get what this stage is about. Yes. So, so that's what we're saying here. We're just trying to say, this is what this stage for us is about. And hopefully we can make it really sort of awesome for you as you look forward in your life or maybe as you're at even older than we are and you can come and we can have some great discussions after the show about what you see is encouraging for us even further down the road. Yes, it's so true. It's so true. And Kelly and I really did have so much fun as we started to talk about this. Um, you get two ENFPs together and ask them to generate <laughs> some ideas. And 
all the words, people. That's right, all the words. So as we talked and kind of tossed some ideas back and forth, we realized a lot of what we were saying, a lot of the things that we were talking about and sharing with each other could really easily be broken down into kind of three categories, that there are things that we have learned in, in terms of our mind and our intellect. There are things that we've learned about our bodies, our physical beings, and there are things that we have learned about our souls, our, our spiritual aspects of life. So Kelly, if you would get us started out talking about this mind aspect, some of the things that you've learned intellectually, cognitively speaking, that you are so happy that you know now? Well, this is a big topic. Um, I would say one of the things that has been so important for me, and this is really hard, but is to learn my expectations about relationships, about life, about how I think different seasons of life is going to go, anything. I mean, about vacation. Right, yes. (laughs) Trying to discover those expectations. They tend to be so kind of embedded or so close to who we are that oftentimes, at least for me, I don't realize they're even there until they don't get met. Yes. And then I say, whoa, wait, what? That, that That's not how this is supposed to go. And then there's this little part of Kelly that says, well, who thought you thought it was going to go the other way? Mm-hmm. Who said that to you? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I just thought, I guess. So that learning that lesson, probably sometime in my late 20s, early 30s, has become so key to me to happiness and to relationship harmony and wholeness and health. Because if I can figure out, and it isn't easy, like I said, but if I can figure out my expectations, when I start to feel those twinges of discomfort, Mm -hmm. and then I have to stop and say, wait, why? Where is this coming from? What is the root of this? Then I can, you know, address it head on. I don't have to wait for some big blow up or for, you know, the resentment to get to some sort of an explosive level. I can say, wait, why, why am I feeling this way? What are my expectations that I didn't previously know that I had? And then I can deal with them and it helps me so much. So learning your expectations, that's like a mental thing for me to really, you have to take some time and really explore, you know, your mind and how it works. Because even that is going to be different for all different types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so one of the other things for mind, and this really comes from you, Megan, but mm. it has become, yeah. So you <laughs> may be my quote unquote little sister, but you are teaching me things too, right? We're always learning. It was the 80-20 rule. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, so and that important. Sort of crunchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fans of sort of crunchy, you will probably remember this too. It's the idea that whatever your values are, something that is important to you, that you would say, I am going to do this wholeheartedly about 80% of the time. And 20% of the time, I'm going to give myself grace. Because we can't be perfect. We can't be held to some sort of a perfectionist ideal. It becomes, to use the Christian term, I would say, if you're familiar with the evangelical faith, we would say an idol. Oh, yeah. It becomes Uh something that we obsess over. um, Or it just becomes something that really we get tied up in and we can't really enjoy life. We can't relax. So, you know, this is key if you're a mom. There have been, I've seen a lot of posts lately on Facebook being shared where people are saying, ah, I just wanted to put sunscreen on my baby and now it's killing him. You know, like, I can't do it right. I can't stay on top of all of this stuff and like what's good to eat and what's bad to eat and what kind of car seat I should have. And it's so overwhelming. And of course, that doesn't apply just to moms. That applies to everything. What are you doing in your life? What are you doing in your career? Are you living in the right spot? Are you leaning in or are you focusing too much on work? So it it can drive us nuts Mm -hmm. and it's not healthy. Yeah. So this is a mental thing. That 80-20 thing has become so important to me. So I like to feed my kids healthy food. I am not above taking them to McDonald's. That falls in that 20%. You know, like I am not going to stress about it. I am not going to apologize for it. 
that might even be something that's in my 40s. Don't apologize a little bit of my mantra. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh-uh, uh-uh. My answer is no. Um, so just that 80-20 thing has become really important to mental health to me and say, I'm going to try to live my ideals. I, it is important for me to have the things that are important to me, my ideals, my values, to be you know, front and center. But I can't do it all the time. I can't hold myself to some sort of imperfect ideal. I need to embrace the fact that I need grace, that I need to extend grace. And that's really, really key to me. There's so much freedom in that. And I, of course, can't take full credit for that. But I think I had written about it on sort of crunchy in the context of food, talking about making some pretty big changes in what we were eating. And it genuinely is so easy, Uh, maybe for different personalities, this is different. I don't know. For me, it's so easy to feel like it has to be the whole thing, like not just 100%, but like 110%. And if you're not at that level, then you may as well just scrap it and just forget it completely. Right. And so 80-20 for so many things in life. Uh-huh. There's so much freedom in that to do the the thing that you want to do the best way that you can and realize that it is not sustainable to expect fully functioning 100% involvement or whatever the thing is your whole life. You know, that you've right. got to make space for, for that 20% where you're just going to chill out. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. And that's freedom. I feel like that's the key word is yeah. that what we're saying where we are now is we've said, hey, Embrace freedom. Yes. You know, that 20% gives you some space mm-hmm. so that you don't have to live under this like big weight all the time. Yep. What a great thing. Freedom. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to call people to. So the 80-20 rule gives you that option totally. <laughs> to have some freedom. The, the last thing, and you guys, of course, I could write 40 things that I could have <laughs> for my mind, but I'm just picking three here. Okay. So the last one, and this is kind of funny, but I realized it yesterday that this has really become important to me and it's been really a big key to my mental health. And it is do it right away. Oh, and what I mean by that is when you think of things or when you're getting things out of the car or putting the groceries away or you find that one library book that you've been looking for, do it right away. Don't say, because I have said my whole life, oh, I'll get to it. Or, you know, some things you don't want to do or you're just like, ugh. I don't want to go put that away in the basement right now. But I have found if I just do it right away, clean the dishes up right after dinner, clean, you know, whatever it might be, don't put it off. I will be so much happier. And the biggest thing why I say it's a mental stress reliever is that all those little things that I don't do right away start to pile up and take up space in my brain. Uh huh. Yeah. And so if I just do it right away, boom, it's like off the list before I ever wrote it. Of course, I do write it and then cross it off because there's great satisfaction in that. Totally satisfying. Yes, Yes. absolutely. So I'm not (laughs) saying you can't go back on the list and write it and then cross it off. But I'm saying is that almost before it gets on those those little things, I'm not talking about scrapbook the first five years of your child's life, you know, like you can't, you have to stop and eat. I'm talking about the little things like, okay, who else hates to put away laundry? I I have no problem folding the laundry, really. I hate putting it away. What is that? I don't know. It's a stupid stumbling block. So like I'm forcing myself once the laundry is all done to be like, go put it away or or put it in the basket for the kids to put away. Don't go, oh, I've done so much work, which I have. I folded the laundry. (laughs) I'm going to sit here and go on Facebook or go do something else. Like just finish it. Mm -hmm. Finish the task. Yes. So that has really been so good for my mind because if I'm doing those little things and just like just get her done then I have space to think about the bigger things in my life. 
It's so true. Those are so great, Kelly. I love it. Thank you for sharing all of those. And I do know you have more you could have shared. So maybe we'll have like a part two of this episode next year or something. Um, So some of the things for me when it comes to my mind, my intellect, the, the way that I experience the world in a cognitive sense, of course, no one's going to be surprised that the first one is just how important it is to learn how your brain works. Mm-hmm. For me, a lot of that has come through the Myers-Briggs system, but it doesn't have to be. That's just one way of discovering how you as a unique person function in this world. It has been so important to me to discover these things for a couple of reasons. The biggest one being it has really helped me to shake off a lot of the shame that really cloaked my view of myself in my younger years, because I was a person, Kelly, who was consistently putting things off to the last, which some of those things, once you understand them about yourself, you like, you can realize like, I don't have to be this way. I mean, that might be my natural inclination to put off making phone calls for a few weeks, but like, I don't have to stay in that. Mm -hmm. But so when I was younger, a student, you know, I'd put off papers and, um, and, and all kinds of projects until the last minute. But now that I know that as an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs system, that I actually do work best under pressure, that I need that deadline to motivate and bring forth my best work, like Mm -hmm. I can just embrace that fact. Like I'm probably never going to be the person who completes a full assignment the day it's given, but that's okay because I know, and I don't have to feel ashamed of that. I know that because of how I function best, I will get it done right before it's due. And being able to not feel ashamed about that and really embrace the brilliance of how your brain works. That has been so important to me. So for me, seeking out projects where I can do a lot of idea generation and and knowing if I'm presented with somebody asking me to do something or if even if I'm considering an opportunity for myself, like knowing if it involves like a lot of detail work, a lot of managing other people and telling other people what to do. Some of these things that are not my strong points, I can quickly assess that and be like, I'm sorry, I have to pass. That's not a good fit for me. And whereas earlier in my life, I would have said yes, just because somebody asked me and I didn't want to hurt their feelings or disappoint them. So learn how your brain works, shake off the shame, embrace your own brilliance. That's a huge thing for me in the mind category. Another one is to push myself to seek out diversity. And again, this is kind of throwback to the the Code Switch podcast and, and the liturgist episode on race. And just in the past... I don't know, uh, five years or so, that has become more and more and more of a priority to me mm-hmm. to incorporate and to be really intentional about seeking out diversity, especially in what I'm reading, because I feel like picking up someone's book, if they're coming from a different perspective, a different background, a different context than I am, that I can like really just indulge in in experiencing what it is that they want to convey. So in what I read, who I'm talking to, but even more than that, who I'm listening to mm-hmm. and being super intentional about making sure that the, the information I'm bringing into my life is diverse in some way. And that can be, you know, certainly we think of diversity, we think of ethnicity, but even pushing beyond that, pushing beyond ethnicity divides and and looking at socioeconomic divides, looking at religious divides and really pushing myself to experience the world through the eyes and through the words of other people has been so huge for me. 
Oh, yeah, I could co-sign that entire thing. I'm so glad you said that. And I do feel like that's become very important to me in the last five years or so. So I do think that's a shift. That's something that I know now that I didn't value, not because I was not valuing it, if that makes sense. I just wasn't even aware of it. I wasn't thinking in those terms when I was younger to say, you need people who are different from you. And my goodness, I look back and I'm like, I grew up in the most silo-y of silos, you know, just so always with people who are like me and believe like me. And so you think the whole world is that way. And that's a disservice. Yes. Um, you know, so I am almost over eager to correct that now at my age. It's become, but I love it because it's, it's made so much personal growth and I've learned so much and I'm so happy to be here. So yes, to everything you just said, diversity is so important. It is. It is. And I hope that, the, you know, I hope that we're seeing that shift culturally. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just us that a lot of people are, are pursuing this as well. Okay, the last one I have to admit is not going to sound awesome at all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but learning this, like, and, and having people around me confirm that it's true has really been meaningful to me. And that is that everyone is lonely. And I don't know if it's because I am an ENFP, so I am somebody who's constantly like seeking connection at all turns, you know, I need connection. And I just have been plagued throughout my life with this nagging sense of loneliness and feeling like I was broken because I just could not seem to shake this lonely feeling. And it wasn't until I finally started saying those words out loud to really close girlfriends and having people reflect back to me like, yeah, no, I I totally totally struggle with loneliness too. And finally, a few friends have been like, like, Megan, you know, everybody's lonely, right? (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) No, (laughs) I didn't know that. But the awesome in that is, first of all, understanding that it's not that I am broken, that it is part of the human experience, that loneliness is a part of the human experience, Mm -hmm. and that we see that explored in literature, we see it explored in music, and that we connect to and and kind of latch onto those things because it's like, oh, that person gets it, they know what it is to be lonely. Well, as it turns out, that's actually really universal. (laughs) And that it really kind of takes the pressure off for me anyway, it's taken the pressure off of friendships and it's taken the pressure off in my marriage. I don't have to look to my husband, Kyle, to fulfill that consistent ache of loneliness that I've dealt with my whole life. I don't have to look to my sisters or my closest friends because it's just about embracing that that's always going to be there and understanding that I have, that I'm empowered to seek out ways to, uh, to fulfill that on, maybe on a spiritual plane or whatever that looks like. And also just learning to live with it in a sense, you know, not being right. miserable about it, but just being like, oh, there's that little pang of loneliness again. And just being like, then that's okay. It's normal right. to have that. Right. So. Just being able to acknowledge those things, I think, sometimes. Yes. You know, like, first of all, recognizing that it is universal. There is a freedom in that. I don't know why we're wired that way exactly. But when other people say, oh, me too, or we all feel that way, Mm -hmm. you know, to an extent, you go, oh, so I guess I can stop fighting against it so much. Right. That's it. That's what it is. And just say, right, yeah. And just, A, acknowledge it. And I think to some degree, embrace it, like not in a dysfunctional way, right. but just be, this is just part of living. Yes. It's okay. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Well, as much as we have grown in, in knowledge and wisdom, when it comes to our minds, I know that both of us have a lot to share about what we now know to be true about our bodies as well. So yes. what do you have for us? 
Well, I have to go back to a point that I made. It was actually my awesome of the week last year when I was talking about exercise. So this is like a bonus, okay? Because I've already said this on the show, but I just want to reference back to it because it's really important. And you referenced it too a little bit, Megan, is to find something that you can do that moves your body that is life-giving to you, that energizes you. And it took me a long time to find that because I'm not naturally athletic. Um, I have very bad depth perception, which is important in a lot of sports. So I was really, really bad. <laughs> like, like I could, you could make a movie. Like I was the one who always got hit in the face and, you know, dodgeball or like kicked in soccer, like, you know, clumsy. It was embarrassing. I'm, so I just thought I didn't move. Like I that's, thought, I just don't do that. I have to tell what? you, I never knew this about you with your depth perception. I have the same thing. Like I feel, I'm pretty sure I have never connected a bat to a baseball or a softball ever i have like that's never going to happen for me i have no depth perception so that's so funny i never knew that about you yes i have to tell you a story so my brother who's just three years younger than me is the opposite of me very athletic very coordinated great depth perception you're the kind of person who can take up a sport and be a master of it in a month just like by not even taking lessons just by playing it with you know friends in the neighborhood we lived together in San Diego. He lived with my husband and, and myself. And so my husband's also very naturally athletic. So Michael and Corey, they would play sports together. They would do stuff. They were So one night they were like, let's go to the golf range and then go to dinner. And I was like, well, I'll meet you guys at the restaurant. You know, and Michael was being very sweet. And he's like, no, no, come with us. Come, come to the, you know, the golfing range. And so I was like, all right. So they're golfing and I'm sitting there. I wasn't on my phone. It was in the nineties people. So I guess I was just looking at the stars <laughs> and uh, he's like, here, you should come, you know, hit some balls. So he gets me all set up, right? With like the little ball on the tee. And he's like, you swing like this. And then he steps back and is like, do it. And isn't that sweet? Like your so younger sweet. brother, he's like, He's like empowering me. You can do it. I know you can. And I'm swinging and like five swings and I miss the ball every time. (laughs) Like miss the ball. Woof. Woof. And I finally turn around and look at him and he's like crouched almost like in a field position laughing. Like not out loud. Like he doesn't want to discourage me. But he's like, how can you be this bad? <laughs> like it's not possible. So I didn't realize that I actually do like a medical right, eye right. thing. Yes. So find your thing. It might not be golf. That's okay. Find some way, whether it's yoga, it's walking, it's hiking, it's paddleboarding. I don't care. Find something that moves your body that really is energizing to you and is life-giving. And you will find it. Like, don't give up. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had a lot of people be like, oh, I've gone to the gym. I've done the treadmill. Well, there's so many other things. Don't give up with that. Find something because it will become so important Mm -hmm. to you. And I love – so this is my first real point is that everything is connected. Yes. Mind, body, and soul. That's something I'm really still just on the very beginning of learning that lesson. But the reason that you need to find something to do with your body that is life-giving is because it is. It's not just about your body and keeping it healthy. Keeping your body healthy, finding something that you enjoy will keep your mind and your soul healthy as well. Like we need this and they're all interconnected. And that interconnectedness, which is a trademark of yoga. So that's where I'm loving that right now because it's helping me to remember it on a daily basis that when I'm doing poses, it's about my soul and my mind. Where is my mind? Can it stay here? Can my soul exude gratitude for this body, this imperfect sometimes body, but it is what I've got, you know, and I'm so glad I can feel my feet 
on the mat and, you know, all those things that they talk about. That's become that whole interconnectedness. I feel like that's probably going to be a theme of the next 10 years for me because it's just something I'm starting to learn and be completely flabbergasted at the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another thing, (laughs) this one took me a long time to learn, is that we desperately need rest. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, you can go listen to the Sabbath episode, the whole like thing on rest and delight. I would say even just let's keep it really simple for this show and say sleep. 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 Oh, I I thought for years or told people for years, I only need six hours of sleep. I'm fine because that's how I functioned in college. But I wasn't functioning at a healthy level. And it wasn't until I was at the TV station, I worked a second shift. So, you know, like I would go into work around two and come home at midnight or one that because of that shift, I was going to bed late and I didn't have to get up in the morning. So I just slept until I needed to get up. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time in probably a decade, this was in my late 20s, I was rested. Mm -hmm. And I noticed how it felt to be actually rested, how my temper wasn't as short, how I didn't eat so much crap. You know, I was more eager to wake up and not so feeling. So I have really, I'm not always good at it because I'm certainly one of those people who I am more night drawn. And so when the kids finally go to bed, it's like, oh, I could stay up. But trying to force myself to say, no, you've got to go to bed. Because you're going to wake up tomorrow happier then. So you need that rest. We need that rest. That's just how we're wired. So I would say start with eight hours and see how you feel. Yes. (laughs) That's a good prescription. I like it. Yes. And I would say the last thing is, and this is a new thing for me too, but man, when I look back, know the difference between self-care and self-comfort. Oh, that is good. Yeah? Yeah. So this It was something that I just heard recently, and it was kind of one of those mind-blowing sort of thoughts to me, because I thought, I don't think I've differentiated. And we need both. I'm not trying to say one is worse than the other. But I think that for a lot of my life, what I've called self-care would have actually been comfort. So the slide that I saw that was differentiating between the two had things under self-comfort, like Netflix, a glass of wine, chocolate, you know, the things that we go, oh, well, I'm going to go self-care. I'm going to go eat a tub of ice cream and watch Netflix. There's nothing wrong with that for a season, but that's not really self-care. Right. That's self-comfort, right? Mm -hmm. We're dealing with something. We're trying to process something. So true self-care are all these things that we're talking about that are body. It is truly finding an exercise that you love. It is tapping into the fact that we are complete mind, body, soul people. It is resting. It is eating non-processed, back to the basics sort of food. Um, So all those things that go together to say, this is, I'm truly taking care of myself. I am nourishing myself so that I can nourish other people and I can continue to live strong and whole. If we don't do those care things, if all we ever do is comfort, we're not actually building into ourselves. You know, it might feel good for the moment. And I think that's why it's okay to have those self-comfort things. Sometimes we do just need a break. So I'm not saying if you're sitting watching Netflix, listening to our podcast, eating ice cream, (laughs) that I'm condemning you. Go for it. Embrace it, right? But we can't live that way. And so knowing the difference and being able to look at my own behaviors and what it does in me, um, you know, is this comforting you or is it truly taking care of yourself has become really a big thing to me. That is so huge. And I think one thing that you said that struck me so much is that when we're pursuing those self-comfort things, it is because we are trying to maybe process something or we're recovering from something, maybe a trauma or grief or something that, that there are definitely those moments when 
yes, we have the freedom to comfort ourselves in these things. But like you said, that's not a sustainable plan for caring for yourself for the long term. So there's a time and place for both. Right. So that's so good. That distinction is so important. And we really don't hear that being talked about very much. So yeah, that's why it was kind of mind blowing to me. Absolutely. So tell me yours. I can't wait to hear what you have learned now that you're here about your body. Yeah, yeah. So here's a huge one that you would think I would have really registered before I was, you know, turning 40 almost. But (laughs) what's true about your body in one stage of life is not always going to be that true for the whole rest of your life. And so it's so important to stay on our toes, so to speak, and listen to what our bodies are telling us. When I was in my 20s, right before my sister's wedding, I was like, I'm going to get fit. I'm going to do all this stuff. And we didn't have kids. Kyle was coaching. He was never home. I had tons of time. And I did. I mean, I was running. I was doing Pilates. I was doing step aerobics because this was the early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I loved it. And, my, and I felt great. And I, frankly, I looked great. And it was so easy. All of those things were so easy. And so, so many times I have tried to go back to that little moment in time and like recreate the whole thing. And my body is just like, listen, girlfriend, you are not 24 years old anymore. You got to accept that and embrace where you are now. And what, just to reflect back what you were saying, what is giving you life now? What is feeding your body now is going to be different. And and that's Mm -hmm. the same too, in terms of like things that can, um, you know, kind of go wrong with our bodies. Uh, I had never had true anxiety before uh, the twins were born. There was something that happened in my brain when they were born that triggered experiencing anxiety. But because I had never experienced it before, I didn't even know to look for it. You know, I didn't even know what was going on until months later with that. And so just just being like, okay, this was true at one season of life, but it's not always going to be true. But just to keep listening to the feedback our bodies are giving us, you know, when Jen Hoffman shared a lot of insights into her philosophy for the Healthy Moving Program, she talked about that quite a bit, how important it is that we listen to the signals that our bodies are giving us. And so I've really incorporated how true that is in life. I don't even know that I, I don't know if it was just a lack of knowledge or if it's just something that is easier to do as you get older because you've been in this body longer. I don't think I even ever listened to my body until I was probably in my 30s. Like it never would have occurred to me. So I'm trying to teach my kids that now, like even with food, Mm -hmm. you know, so like, again, I don't mind taking you to McDonald's, but then let's see how you feel in 20 minutes or an hour. Are you hungry again? You know, do you feel not great? You feel sluggish. Now let's eat this food and then let's see how you feel. Like, can you listen? Like I can now at 44, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's taking me that long to be able to really start to listen. Could could you do it when you were younger? Or is this, do you think it's a thing that's just happened as you got older? Oh no, it's something I had to be taught. And again, Jen was really influential in my life because a lot of the things that she taught me through that process, I was like, I, I, that was my exact response. How am I this old? And I've never been actually intentionally taught to stop and slow down and, and even recognize what the signals are. Right, right. So, yeah, but I think that's so great. It, I hadn't even thought about that, but translating that into teaching our kids to listen to what our bodies are telling us yeah. is so great. The second one on my list for, for what I've learned about my body is that stress is a real thing. <laughs> and yes. I know we talk about it a lot in our culture. We talk about it a lot. But 
somewhere along the way, I had switched off in my brain. I think it was probably because I have been at home with kids for, you know, 11 years now. I felt like since I was out of the formal workplace, that a lot of what I read and heard about stress probably really didn't apply to me because I was just a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> I was just doing laundry and putting it away right. and feeding There's no stress and... involved with that. Right, right, right. And I had really not allowed myself to consider the, to first of all, consider the possibility that I was under a lot of stress. And and then I just, I did, I was like, I don't even know what to do about it. And I will tell you, Kelly, this has been such a recent discovery that has transformed my life. I cannot emphasize that strongly enough. Was reading Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are, which I mentioned on the show, you and I talked about it. She has this whole chapter on stress, how real it is, how detrimental it is to her, our, our whole bodies holistically when we ignore it and how important it is to get proactive about dealing with it. She talks at length about stress cycles. Reading that chapter helped me unlock a really big mystery that I was having about my life. I had shared with you and some other close friends earlier this, well, I guess it was sort of more like late late winter, early spring. I was crying all the time and not in a depressed way. I've, I've dealt with depression, crying stuff. It wasn't, I was like crying about happy things, Mm -hmm. touching things, like just a lot of tears were happening all the time. And I was, so I I had asked some friends, like, do you think you can be depressed and not know? Like, I'm crying all the time, but I don't feel like I'm depressed. I don't feel hopeless. I don't feel, you know, that darkness that that depression often brings. So do you think I could be depressed and not know? And there, and a lot of friends, you know, several people were like, well, maybe it's hormones, maybe it's this. When I read that chapter about stress in Come As You Are, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm crying all the time because I'm just so stressed and I don't, I've not been letting off the steam of this stress. I mean, I can remember I was, Eliza was in a theater um, production at school that it was like a children's theater workshop and they did their final performance. And after the performance, (laughs) the teachers, they're they're these uh, university students from Oklahoma City University, came out and talked about the importance of theater in learning and how learning these scripts help kids with their overall literacy. And Kelly, I was like sitting in the audience crying. I was like, theater helps with literacy. It's so wonderful. (laughs) I've been there. So anyway, (laughs) when I read that chapter and I read her explanation of what, you know, these different ways that stress manifests in our life and what we can do about it, And she talks about, I don't want to give everything away because I still maintain every single woman needs to read this book. But she talks about completing the stress cycle and how really physical movement can be one of the biggest things that we that we do to to relieve the stress cycle. It was like a light switch went off. Once that switch was flipped, everything has been so much better. I'm not crying at the drop of a hat anymore. And I'm recognizing this is a stressful moment and I have got to do something to bring the stress cycle to a close or it is just going to continue to build up and build up and build up in my body. And that's not good for me or for anybody around me for sure. I think it's kind of funny that you didn't even think that stress applied to you because you weren't in the workforce. That's just one of those things where we we look back on it. We're like, what was I thinking? You know, but it's it's that acknowledgement, right? To give yourself like, I am under stress. And I I remember when you figured this out because you were like, well, maybe the podcast. And we were like, well, yeah, the podcast is this really big thing. (laughs) Not that it's stressful in a bad way. It's stressful in a good way. Right. But it's still stress. It's still stuff you're working on. And so just 
acknowledging it, just yes. calling it what it is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. ah, I am stressed. Yes. And that whole, yeah, I don't want to give anything away either, but that idea of completing the stress cycle and figuring out how that applies to you, it really has been important to me too. And again, it's acknowledging it. It is. And saying it's okay. Yes. And literacy and theater are very good, but I don't have to cry <laughs> about it all the time. Right. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Okay, the last one is really huge. I'm going to get really vulnerable with you guys because this is, it's hard to talk about, but it really is profoundly shaping how I feel about my body. And that's this idea that anyone can be happy at any size, no matter what size you are. Again, in the book, Come As You Are, she kind of addresses some of this, how our uh, our feelings about our body, our body images, how that affects our sexual beings. But one thing that I love about that book, and I cannot stop saying, is that she makes application in so many things that move beyond just that part of your life. And that phrase, anyone can be happy at any size, is something that a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, said specifically. And when I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's really true. (laughs) I stopped and assessed where I was, and um, I kind of shared bits and pieces of this on the podcast that my body has never gone back down to where it was before I was pregnant with the twins. And I didn't realize how much I had been resisting my body body and like had been closed off to my body because of that. And when our friend said that phrase, I was like, you know what, I actually I'm I really and genuinely am happier than I have ever been. I'm creating a project that's so important and so meaningful to me. And it brings me so much joy. My kids are amazing. My husband's business is thriving. Things are great. And I when I if I look at the scale, I am at a number that in my past years of life, I would have been horrified by. But now I can look at that and be like, you know what? I can weigh that amount and still be living an amazing life. Right. And there is so much freedom in that that yeah. I never thought I would experience. I can look at that number and say, yeah, that's the number on the scale. But you know what? I'm lifting weights three times a week. I am doing, um, you know, like these dance workouts that you kind of alluded to on an earlier show that are so much fun. I'm having fun with my body and I am looking in the mirror and looking at the things that are really incredible about my body and saying to the number on the scale, that's okay. That's a thing. Right. You know, but at the same time, I can fully dig in and fully experience the joys of life in this moment right now. So that's been very liberating. Oh, I love that. And I love when people really can embrace that because it's such an important truth. And I just... When I am out at the Y, I mean, or even on a lake, and I see people of all sizes, of all ages, really, truly embracing whatever they're doing, whether it be water skiing or just canoeing or you're doing a class, I love that. And I'm like, that is the goal, right? Yes. To say, nope, this is the body I have right now. You know, the number on a scale is one label that does not define me. It is not everything. It is not maybe even the most important thing. Right. So, you know, having the freedom to not lock yourself away from your body because of, you know, maybe the shame or the guilt or the baggage that you have, being able to throw that aside and say, even though I'm here, maybe, you know, 20 year old wouldn't want to be here. I am glad to be here. Yes. Yes. And I am going to just embrace that. Yeah, that's that is beautiful to me. It's been it's been a very recent discovery. And I am so glad that I have that knowledge to take into this next decade of my life that 
It's so true. It's so true. So, all right, we're to our last category, Kelly. Let's talk about our souls, which I'm sure we could spend a whole nother show talking. We could. About I'm rolling my eyes. Stuff. I'm like, oh, how are we even going to do this? <laughs> okay. So what are some things that you know to be true about the spiritual and the soulful aspects of your life where you are right now? Oh, man. Awesome. This has been probably the last 10 years, so this would span my, my mid-30s to my mid-40s, have been the most expansive, growth-filled for my soul that I have had yet in my life. So this is a big one. It's hard for me to really break it down. Here's the number one thing that I would say I have learned. It is that life is not dualistic. And what I mean by that is it's not good, evil, either or, right, wrong, these very simplistic sort of ways to label and look at the world that I grew up with. And I will say, there's nothing necessarily wrong with those. And I think that if I know anything about child development, which is not much, but that when kids are young, they actually need that sort of a very simplistic, dualistic way of looking at the world. So most of us were taught that by our parents for reason, because it's just yes, no, you know, like we couldn't handle all of the gray areas and the multiplicities of life when we were three. But I didn't really grow out of that (laughs) until I was in my 30s when I started to go, wait a minute. It's just not that simple. Right. It's not that simple. And so kind of trying to really shed um, those very simplistic and, again, dualistic labels for everything that I had in my life has been this, like, growth in my soul to say it's not all good or all bad. Life is complex. Situations are complex. People are complex. And the cool thing about it is it didn't depress me. It didn't sink me down into some morass where I don't feel like I can grasp anything. It's actually released me from feeling like I have to categorize everything in these very clear things. This is good. That's bad. It has to be one or the other. It can't be both. So it's, it's given me this tremendous freedom to really embrace life for what it is and to not feel like I have to somehow control it. I think what dualistic thinking did for me was it made me feel like I have to get it right. Oh, yeah. You know, so that's actually kind of my second point. So it bleeds right into it. And this one's maybe it sounds a little controversial. I don't know if we're going to get feedback on this, but it is the belief that you are probably not right about everything. And <laughs> that was a little hard for me to accept when I was in my 30s because the way I grown up, especially in the church's environments that I grew up, like we were pretty sure we were right. Yo, like, I, yes. Yeah. You know, like, like we would be, you know, nice to the people and be like, well, maybe we're not, but we really are, <laughs> you know, like, no, yes, come on, was, obviously, yeah. if you would read your Bible, you know, dot, 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 uh-huh. we know what's going on. So I read this really profound quote, Anne Lamont quotes this gentleman a lot, Paul Tillich. He said, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Mm. Oh, so yeah. I was like, I have walked away from 90% of the things that 10 years ago I was certain about. And said, it just doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. I don't need to be right. Right. I don't need to have it figured out. It just doesn't matter. So it's been kind of a thing because my husband's an INTJ as I have walked this journey and he's like, whoa, 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 we need, (laughs) we need some definitions here. And you're seeming like you're just taking all the definitions off and mixing it all together and saying, now everything is gray. Like there has to be something. And I understand where he's coming from because Mm -hmm, I understood from you, you know, how our brains work differently. But at the same time, it's been really good for me to be able to say, you know, it's, it's not that 
I don't think anything is right or wrong. I'm just acknowledging that I am very human and that I am probably going to get more wrong than I get right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to hold to things so tightly. And I think that a lot of the things I've walked away from needing to be certain about, I have been able to say, you know what, and that stuff doesn't really even matter. Like what's the core of what that thing that I used to hold so tightly to the details. Yeah. So I've boiled things down. I feel like especially in my faith, I have boiled it down so much and I've gotten rid of, again, 90% of things that I used to hold tightly to. And now I'm like, I have about five core beliefs that are really important to me and the rest of it, I can let it go. Yeah. And again, that's freedom. Like that's such a wonderful thing to be able to do for your soul yes. so that you, you don't have to concern yourself all the time with being right and who's right and who's wrong and who's in and who's out. You could embrace mystery. Mm, yes. Because of that and say, and your humanity and grace, because when you're not the one having to decide who's right and wrong, and you realize that you need grace just as much as the pre people who previously were in the wrong category, you know, you're on level playing field now. You can be a part of the masses instead of standing apart from the masses. Yeah. So that's, I mean... I, I really, I feel like what I just said there is such a surfacey skim of something that has become profound to me. And I have seen my soul just expand mm -hmm. in so many beautiful ways because of where I am now. And I love being here now. And sometimes I'll talk to people or last year we went to camp and it was more dualistic, just like the, and I love the people at that camp. Um, we went to family camp. But I hadn't been back in that for a while, and it was jarring to me mm, right. to go, oh, that's right. That's how that used to feel. I am so glad I'm not there anymore. And I, I don't think – I didn't feel sorry for the people there. You know what I mean? Like, it just – I'm so glad that I am here right. and that I can, you know, be okay with it. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I do. And the last one I would say, and this kind of goes with it, is you are loved. I am loved. Like, that, again – may sound a little woo-woo to some people, but has become so profound to me that that idea of love, God, the universe, you know, that you are loved right here, right now, right where you are. It has become not only transformative and life-giving, joy-giving, but something that I just want everybody to experience. And this is, I'm, see, I'm listening to myself and I'm like, oh my word, it sounds so like... <laughs> Like there should be chimes playing in the background. Or no, I, I mean, I'm tracking with you. I'm just sitting here smiling because, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I just want everybody to know the love, yes. you know, and that idea of saying, I want you, awesome friend who's listening right now, to know that you are loved immeasurably without condition right here, right now. You are loved. And if we could get that, like if you could really get that, oh, man. That just, it fills you up. Mm, so that you are loved idea has become like the core of my life. It's good stuff, Kelly. I like <laughs> it. Okay. Well, in terms of this soul stuff for me, uh, like Kelly, I mean, I could go on about a lot of this, but the first one that I want to reference, this goes back to an essay I read from uh, a writer, a woman named D.L. Mayfield. That's her professional name is D.L. Mayfield. She wrote this on her blog. Um, back in 2013. And so this was sort of after Pinterest had kind of come out and taken root in the blogging world. And, and we kind of referenced this on last week's show, how uh, having Pinterest worthy pictures and, mm -hmm. and tutorials and all of those types of things really kind of overtook blogging. Well, she wrote this piece on the ministry of Funfetti. I talk about this 
years later, I talk about this all the time. I think about it often. It's one of the most important personal essays I've ever read. Of course, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to read the whole thing. But Deal was talking about how um, she would like hate read these really pretty blogs. She would read them and just get so mad about how, about their gorgeous home cooked meals, about all their chevrons everywhere, about how wrong it was to believe that you should just try harder and life will be perfect. And so she's writing about how she would hate read these blogs. And she she wrote, I would read transfixed by the perfect curatedness of these lives on the screen, both scorning their temporal pursuits because hello, people are dying in Darfur. <laughs> right. And yet strangely longing for that assuredness that everything matters, that finding moments of beauty whenever we could get them actually did, in fact, matter to God. The trouble was, I just couldn't believe it. And so so she then goes on to talk about how she and her husband had purposely chosen to live amongst the poor. They lived specifically in a refugee community for several years doing ministry work there. And how she found that one of the things that she did often when she didn't know what else to do was to make funfetti cakes for people and just take them to them in the midst of their heartbreak. And so she was baking a funfetti cake for a neighbor who was moving away to a situation that she felt was not going to be good. And she was so sad, but she was baking and like praying as she was baking this funfetti cake. And like, God, what are we supposed to do with all of this? And she said, I feel like God said, you keep baking cakes. So I loved that. And then to finish the essay, she wrote, In my world, there is a lot of pain. People in abusive situations, addictions, mental illness, sickness, poverty, demons. It's like the New Testament come to life. And God is asking me to run, not walk, into all of those contexts. Because I know God loves them more than I do. And the gospel of Jesus is one of freedom. I'm being asked to start living like I believe in that love, like I believe another world is possible. I'm being asked to bake cakes and knock on doors and believe in healing and deliverance and transformation because that is what our God does. I don't always know what it looks like, but I can tell you from personal experience, he loves. So that whole piece and the idea of the ministry of Funfetti has been life-changing for me. The idea that we may not be able to play a role in solving the big problems of our world. And we may look at our culture and see the cracks and how things feel like they're just falling apart and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's very powerless, but that we actually are empowered to move into the hard spaces to bake our funfetti cakes and run to the darkness and make a difference where we can. That has changed my very soul so much. And I love that piece. So yes, a link in the show notes so you can go read the whole thing because I hope it will change your life too. That was the first one. Secondly, Kelly, this is something I've learned from you over and over, and that is the importance of embracing seasons as they come. We talk about this a lot on the show. We've yeah. joked about how, <laughs> how if our awesomes wanted to play a drinking game as they listened, they only need to listen to the <laughs> phrase season of life. Yep. <laughs> and they would be very happy by the end of the episode. <laughs> yes. The show would have all sorts of new, like, found jokes and giggles. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. We do talk about it a lot. But this idea of seasons, that life moves in seasons, that there are rhythms of life, that there are cycles that we all move through, and just embrace what we are in. I, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has spent so much of a season 
either looking back and wishing that the current season could be the way it used to be or looking ahead and just wishing away what we're currently experiencing. I mean, I can't remember being a college student and being like, oh, I got to write another paper and blah, blah, blah. And just longing for the day that I would graduate and leave school behind. But now when I look back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, my whole job in college was to read literature and write responses to it. I mean, how much more perfect could it be? I would love to right. go back to those days. Right. But just being able to settle in and to recognize that things are the way they are now. They will not be the way they were. And we don't know what's to come. And to just right. enjoy the season that we're in. Yes. Yes. I've learned that from you so much in your talk about Sabbath and and just really in just embracing it. in the way you talk about winter. I've said this before, the way you talk about winter and recognizing it and and glorying in the season that it is has really spoken to being been so meaningful for me. So the last one is another sort of literature inspired one. Um, like I was inspired by D.L. Mayfield's words. This little line comes from a poem by Alice Walker, and uh, it's from her poem, Expect Nothing. And after the opening line of the poem, which is expect nothing, she writes, live frugally on surprise. And so that has really sunk into my heart and mind and my soul as well. This idea, and you can look at the poem and kind of be like, well, that's a really pessimistic view on life to just expect nothing from anyone and then you'll never be disappointed. But really, when you look at it, I that line, live frugally on surprise, to me is so hopeful. Just this idea that there is so much hard stuff that we encounter day to day. But if we can allow our souls to just kind of pair back to what is truly important and to look for the ways that life springs up to surprise us all the time through circumstances, through people, through things that we never expected were going to happen. If we look for it and agree with ourselves to not um, insist on an indulgent pursuit of surprise, but to live frugally on it, to just realize that if we look for it, that it's going to be there. I think that's sort of like the mission almost of sort of awesome, that uncovering of the awesome in the everyday really comes from that idea of how important it is to say, yeah, I want to live frugally on surprise and then watch how life surprises us in all different kinds of ways. So, so that is, I've never heard that line, live frugally on surprise, but that is rich with meaning. It's beautiful. I love it. It It is. Thank goodness for beautiful words in this world, for sure. Well, speaking of words, we've had a lot of them today, Kelly, so I guess we better go ahead and wrap up. But before we go, because we would love to hear from you all what you are learning, what you are so glad that you know now, what has changed your life that is something that you know now that you are here in this moment of your life. We want to hear from you, whatever stage of life, whatever season of life (laughs) that you're in, we want to hear from you. So Kelly, remind us where we can find you all around the web. You can find me on Twitter and at Instagram at Kelly at Lovewell. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Lovewell blog. Okay. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Don't forget the show is also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. 
Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at pragermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.